Thank you, Stephanie. Well, good morning. Today we have a just a special treat, uh, as always, as we come to the Lord's house and hear from His Word. Uh, but a friend that I met when I was a youth pastor uh, named Tom through Jason Berkelio at EV Free, uh, they went to school together at Shasta Bible College, and uh, Tom then graduated and got his doctorate and is now a professor uh, at Shasta Bible College, and, uh, and, he, and he operates Word Sower Ministries, and, and it's, it's an opportunity where he gets to share the gospel and point people to Jesus. Uh, he's been to Israel uh, several times, correct? Three, you said? Four years. Four years in Israel. Uh, pretty good expert about that. He's spoken. Some of you men may have recognized him from one of our men's breakfasts when he talked about archaeology and, and the archaeology of Israel and Jerusalem. Uh, he has memorized over 20 books of the Bible and can quote them from memory. Uh, has an amazing memory, has an amazing passion for the gospel, to plant churches, uh, to, to just be the hands and feet of Jesus. And uh, we are going to just hear a special word from him today. Um, so I'd like you to welcome Tom Meyer and, uh, and his family. <clears throat> and know, yeah. At, at the end of our service today, we will be giving uh, a love offering also just to support his ministry. This is what he does to support his growing family. And uh, there's a basket out on the kiosk. So if you'd like to contribute towards uh, his ministry and just uh, as a love offering, thank him and his family for being here. You can do that after the service uh, and put that, put that in the offering or the, in the basket on the, on the kiosk, okay? And make checks payable to FBC, and we will make sure to get him a check at the end of the day. He's a microphone. You bet. Do I say hi? Hi. <laughs> um, well, we, we are the face, <laughs> right, of the rest of Tom Moore's family. So we, I'm, I'm Sarah. Nice to meet you all. And we have four lovely kiddos. Hosanna. Wave your hand. Hosanna is five. Uh, Scarlett. Wave your hand. Nope. <laughs> or not. Is three. Abigail is one. And little Tommy is seven months old tomorrow. So we're, we came up from Reading um, for yesterday and today, and we're just so glad we can be with you this morning. Thanks for having us. All right. God gave us a boy. So <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. For the service, what I'd like to do is the following is to uh, speak the book of uh, Matthew chapter 1 from memory first. So if you have your Bible, why don't you find that? Matthew chapter 1, speak that from memory first. And then after that, I'd like to work verse by verse through the, the whole chapter to survey it and to glean some insights and some application to us today is kind of a pre-Christmas kind of message. Um, there's a lot of names there in Matthew chapter 1 as I recite this from memory. So if I miss one name, we're all going to, I'm taking you all out to lunch. And Brandon's paying for it. Pastor Brandon will pay for it. <laughs> we get that PowerPoint up, guys. Thank you. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brethren. And Judah begot Phedas and Zerah of Tamar, and Phedas begot Asran, Asran begot Aram, Aram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nasun, Nasun begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. And Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, Abijah begot Asa, Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, Joram begot Uzziah, Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, Ahaz begot Hezekiah, Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, Ammon begot Josiah, and Josiah...
begot Jeconiah and his brethren about the time they were carried away into Babylon. And after they were carried away into Babylon, Jeconiah begot Salatiel, Salatiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Sadok, Sadok begot Achim, Achim begot Eliud, Eliud begot Eliezer, Eliezer begot Matam, Matam begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. So all the generations... From Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, for she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall bear a child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen? Did, is, is he buying lunch or are we good? We're good? Okay. The average person who thinks, you know, maybe I'll read the New Testament, right? Like we stayed at the, what, the Best Western Hotel last night. It's fantastic, so the kids could go swimming and all that stuff. And you got a Gideon's Bible right by the bed, right? So the average person who says, I'm going to pull out the New Testament and read it, they're puzzled to find on the very first page this laundry list of names that they can't even pronounce. And half of them, they've never even heard of before. Why is it here? What's the big deal? The New Testament, like a, the New Testament starts out like this. This is genealogy is like the equivalent of like a, like a drum roll, the equivalent of a, a fanfare of trumpets, a town crier calling for attention. It's like a great procession that's coming down the street. And everybody's watching it. We're starting at the front, and then we, you know, we see the middle. But of course, all eyes are on the one who comes in the position of greatest honor, the one we heard the 42nd name at the end right there, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all that being said, first block is verses 1 through 17. Stay with me here if you're taking notes. Verses 1 through 17. Now, like the Bible opens up with the book of Genesis, where you have that you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, genealogy, boom, 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 boom. And then after that, you have an unpacking, a narrative, a story of the creation of the man, of the first Adam. So the New Testament starts along the same lines. You have the genealogy, and then after that, you have the unpacking, the narrative, the story of the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, my friends, this chapter to us is like, wow, this is like genealogy is a big deal to the Jews, you know? Like to us, most of us, we probably can't go back more than, I don't know, three, four, five, seven names back into the past. But for the Jews, genealogy is huge. When they first went into the land of Canaan under Joshua, you couldn't just move where you wanted to move, as most of you know. You had to stay within the territory that was allotted to your particular tribe. 
You had to marry within your clan or within your tribe and those kind of things. Even all the way down to the, by the time you get to the time of someone, I heard a text. Is that God texting? <laughs> I'm just saying, I hope it's not mine. <laughs> Even under Roman rule, guys, way past the time of Joshua, right? Joseph has to go to Bethlehem, as you know, because that's where he's a son of David and the tribe of Judah comes from. Even Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he's concerned about, I'm a Benjaminite indeed. So to Jews, genealogy in this chapter is like a really, really, really big deal. This is a Jewish gospel. You know how some people say Luke is written to whatever all mankind or something like that, and John is the gospel of whatever, and right? So this is directed specifically towards the Jewish, the Jewish people. Now, all that being said, the first question a Jew is going to ask if you're the possible Messiah is, are you a son of David? Now, the reason they're going to ask that is because David is the first of two essential ancestors that the Messiah had to have. Let me say that again. There's two essential ancestors the Messiah had to be related to, guys, and it tells us in verse number one, David first, and then Abraham. Of course, David, because of 2 Samuel chapter 7 in the Davidic covenant, if the Messiah is going to rule and reign as king, he's got to be, obviously, a son of David the king. Not only that, he has to be a son of Abraham, because in the Abrahamic covenant, just kind of boiling it down, it's all about land and family. And if you're going to be a king ruling over a king, you got to have a land to rule over, and you got to have a family. You have to have people as your, for lack of a better word, your subjects. Now, this chapter, as we just kind of flew through it really quick there, it, a part of it is really, once we get into the nitty-gritty, it speaks of de Israel's decadence, Israel's corruption, just a really, really rotten kind of history, especially in the second set we're going to look at. What does that mean, that second set? Let me go back there for a second. This genealogy is broken into three parts, 14 names, 14 names, 14 names. First is Abraham to David. Man was born for greatness. That's Matthew's main point. Then the second point, the second 14 names, from David until when the temple was destroyed. Man lost his greatness. And then that third block, from the time the temple was destroyed until the time the Lord Jesus was born, that third block, man has regained his greatness because of Jesus. So let's start in verse number two. Abraham, as you can see, is mentioned first. Why? Because the omission, the leaving out of all names before Abraham, points to this being a Jewish gospel. Like the book of Luke, as some of you know, there's a genealogy of Jesus in that book too, isn't there? But that genealogy through the line, that's through the line through the blood of Mary. goes all the way back to Adam, okay? But this genealogy is through the blood through the line of Joseph, because Joseph is a son, a son of David. So leaving out all the names before Abraham, right, that would ring a bell that this is specifically for the Jews. Now, Abraham is born 1,948 years after creation, 1948 after creation. And of course, he's promised a son when he's 75, and then he doesn't get the son until he's 100. 
And then throughout that whole period of 70, 25 years, Abraham and Sarah are living a lie, to paraphrase Genesis chapter 20. When they left Ur, they made an agreement that you just pretend to be my sister, and I'll pretend to be your brother, and then that way it'll all be okay. And then when they go into Egypt, of course, the promise is put in jeopardy because Pharaoh takes Sarah, who's going to be the matriarch, the mother, who through the Messiah is going to come, and he takes her and puts her in his harem. And it's only a matter of time before he knows her, and then she can't be the mother of the Messiah, future Messiah, anymore. And then they put the promise in jeopardy again in chapter 20. When they go into the land of Gerar, same thing happens, right? Abimelech takes Sarah because she's Abraham's sister, puts her in his harem. God visits to supernaturally intervene to stop damaging the line of the seed of the woman. And then finally, when he does get a son, God tells him to kill him. <laughs> and then just this long, drawn-out history of the ups and the downs and the probabilities and the chances of this happening are just astronomical. Isaac begot Jacob. We're familiar with that. And then Jacob, you see it says he begot Judah and his brethren. So the 12 brothers mentioned, guys, this is the pool from which the Messiah will come, the 12 sons of Jacob. But then when we get, if you follow along in verse number three, we have Judah mentioned. So now it's narrowed down where Jesus, where the Messiah is going to come from. All the other tribes, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, dot, 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 all of them are now excluded. It is impossible for any child born from any of those tribes to be the Messiah. He has to come through the line of Judah in verse number three. Now, Judah, of course, was no saint. I mean, he was, but he wasn't. <laughs> we know the story from Genesis chapter 38 when he was shearing his sheep at that time of the year. He's married. He's got a whole life back home. And what does he do? He, you know how it is, right? He goes off the main route, going to the main place, goes to a Baal temple, finds a cultic prostitute, sleeps with her, impregnates her, right? And gives her the equivalent of his wallet for collateral, Right? Then about nine months or whatever later, he gets word that, oh, by the way, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Tamar, Tamar the Canaanite, right, is pregnant with his children. With, so, so God is making lemonade out of lemons. He's using the people's sin and the people's folly and the people's mistake. And God, through his wisdom and providence, is still working through all of that. Just like in our lives with our decisions and all these kind of things, God uses that. Not that he condones it, obviously, but he uses it for his ultimate purpose. In the history, the history of Judah, right, because the, the scepter that the king uses has to go through him, it still continues through Tamar. Now, in the Jewish writings, a little bit after the time of the New Testament, the rabbis, they didn't perceive Tamar as some kind of, you know, nasty woman, but someone who's whose works and whose life was guided through the providence of God to bring about, in their view, in their books, the Talmud, David. Then we get to verse number four. So who are all these people here? We're going from, the, we're going from 1948 after creation, or 2165 B.C., the time of Abraham in verse number four, all the way down to this is the Exodus, guys. Seven 
700 years of history has passed between verses 2 and 3 and 4. 700 years! So we get to this person named Nasun. Who's he? When the Israelites marched through the wilderness, guys, the Bible tells us they were very orderly and they were in their particular clans or tribes and each of the tribes had a big flag with their insignia or slogan on it to keep order, like a military marching. And Nasun, in verse number four, that guy was the leader of the tribe of Judah as they marched through the wilderness. Then we get to verse number five. Who are these people right here? Sam and Begab, but we know Boaz. So this in verse number five, this is the time that Joshua has entered into the land. And then, of course, we have Rahab mentioned here. Now, Rahab, along the same lines of Tamar, was before she came to faith, right? No saint, right? She probably ran the equivalent of, a, let's keep it PG here, a harem, Something like that, okay? She was not the kind of person that you would think would come to faith. But she's awesome because she's like a Mary Magdalene type of person. And she just believes in God. And she has power and energy and faith. And she ends up, ends up doing what? She has a child. Who's that child? Boaz. Boaz who married Ruth, another Gentile woman. So Jesus' genealogy, guys, the Lord Jesus' genealogy, a lot like our genealogies, it's full of horse thieves, okay? Crooked people, rotten people, right? People who are just not good, <laughs> but still, right? We can work through that. We're not linked to that. That isn't attached to us. And just like Tamar, Right? By the time you get to the New Testament, Rahab, the Gentile, is praised as a model of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and James chapter 2. Then we get to verse number 6. So, Jesse begot David the king. All right, so we've gone approximately 1,200 years through ancient Israelite history, through the history of Judah. The, it's all seen within the rails of the tribe of Judah here. 1,200 years of history by the time we get to verse number 5. Now, in verse number 5, the thing Matthew wants to point out to us is the following. Is that, you know how it says David the king? You see that right there? If you look at that second block of names, that second block of names, those are all the kings of Jerusalem that were sons of David. None of them have the title, the king, even though we know some of them, right? Like Hezekiah, he was the king, but none of them had that title, the king in the second block, because the book is all about, the whole book in the chapter is about Jesus is the son of David. He's come to fulfill the Davidic promises. So the first section, 1,200 years of history, ends with promise and man is born for greatness. Then we get into some trouble. Big trouble, verses 7 and 8. The trouble starts with Solomon, right, who had, what, what does it say in 1 Kings 11? 700. Guys, I have one wife, and I love her to pieces, Okay. Happy wife, happy life. But sometimes, you know, we're human. Solomon had 700 wives. 700. 700 wives and princesses. And these are all political marriages from every single tribe under the sun. And what ends up happening is these girls who move to Jerusalem, they bring an embassy with them. And now they bring their gods with them and all their priests with them. They're not converting to Yahweh worship. 
And so this is when the, the, everything begins to fall apart, starting in verse number 7. Verses 7 and 8, we have all these people listed. Something I just want to point out real quick is that when Matthew is, well, like today, if you're working on a genealogy today, you can go to Ancestry.com, right? And that would kind of be your primary source. You with me? Matthew, when he's writing it, his primary source is the Old Testament. He just has the Bible open from 2 Chronicles, chapters 1 and following. That's all he's doing. That's his ancestry.com. But when Matthew is writing this chapter, guys, he is deliberately leaving out names from his primary source for two reasons. Number one, he wants to make it 14 names times 3. Boom, 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 okay? And also, he wants to leave out people from that genealogy who are not sons of David. Because what happened is, remember a name Jezebel, of course, and Ahab. I tell my kids scripture from memory when we go to sleep every night, like as a story. They're great kids. But what the, the story they want to hear, like every night, is Jezebel getting thrown out the window and eaten by dogs. It's just like... It's just like, you can have whatever you want. That's, and that's what they want. I don't know. It's just, I don't know. Is it? Yeah. But Jezebel and Ahab had some kids. One of their kids was named Atalia. She was a girl. She came down from the north to the south, overtook Jerusalem, okay? Did a coup d'etat, overtook Jerusalem, and put her children, who were not sons of David, on the throne, big problem. So Matthew, boom, 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 leaves those guys out because they are not sons of David. Then we get to verse number 9 and verse number 10. All these names here, this is when the lights start to go out in the history of the ancient Israelites, guys. Things got so bad here for the most part. I mean, Hezekiah was great, right? But Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, he was so bad, guys. What he did is he went over and he went to, took the God from Oregon, on the other side of the tracks, from Moab, okay, the god Molech, and brought him down to here and set up an altar to Molech, and he, this is a son of David, guys, right outside of Jerusalem. The Jewish women were persuaded to commit human sacrifices and offer their babies up alive on a burning plate to this god. And in order to kind of just... You know, they would play the drums, boom, 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 really loud to drown out the screams of the little babies. This is the king of Jerusalem. Why do you think the temple was smashed and destroyed to smithereens and the people of God were exiled? Because God's long-suffering, he's patient, and all these kind of things. But after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of this rotten behavior, Enough was enough. His son, Manasseh's son, he didn't name him after God. He named him after the God of Egypt, Amon-Ra, the sun god. And then by the time you get to verse number 11, we have a little bit of a, of a, of a break here with Josiah, because remember the reforms that he brought into Israel and all those kind of things. But after him, you had one last king left on the throne, and that's this guy. Let me explain a little bit. His name is Jeconiah. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. It's like 1159. Babylon is just about to attack Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and it's midnight, and deport all the Jews out of Israel. We're familiar with this story. Right before that happened, Jeremiah the prophet walks right into the throne room of the king. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse number 13. He says to Jeconiah, in other words, you are cursed. No descendant of yours will ever rule on the throne from Jerusalem again. 
this accumulation of sins from Solomon all the way to 586 B.C., approximately 400 long years of bad behavior by the religious and the political elite and the common people, exhausted God's patient, and so a curse was put on the throne. So if this is the problem is that, that Jesus, how could Jesus be king? Because the throne's cursed. How could he be king? Because the throne is cursed. Aha. See, Jesus is legal. His legal descent to rule as king and son of David came through the line of Joseph. Okay, came through the line of Joseph. But his blood, there was no blood as you know, no blood of Joseph running through Jesus' body. And it was through Mary's line in that Luke genealogy that gave him the human right to rule. So by him being adopted by Joseph, he avoids, and the Holy Spirit and Mary together, he avoids the curse put on the throne by Jeremiah 600 years before he was born. So that second section ends, boom, it just ends with total, total disaster. Then we're going to do some flying over really fast in verses 12 through 17. We got all these names here. After they were brought away into Babylon, the rest of the list, there's only two names in the rest of the 14 names here, guys. Only two names that are mentioned in the entire Old Testament. This is the time between Malachi and Matthew. Those 400 long years of, at least literally speaking, Israelites' dark history. We don't know a lot, just a little bit. But Zerubbabel, his name means born or sown in Babel, born in Babylon, born in exile. All these people here. Zerubbabel, he had a son. Now, Zerubbabel believed that the Messiah would still come through the line of Judah because that's what God's word says. And so he names his son Abba, which means father, Yahud, Judah. In other words, Zerubbabel says, your name is my father is Judah. So even though they're in dispersion, even though they're cast far off, the remnant is still believing that God is working, even though it might not look like it, and he's still going to bring about his promises through the line of Judah. Later, this is the time of the intertestamental period. These patriarchs in the line of Judah are still naming their children Eliahud, El, God, Ehud, Judah. God is the God of Judah. So still persevering and believing in the word of God until finally, finally, after 2,200 years of history in those 17 verses, we get to verse number 15. Now, the point Matthew is making here, as you can see, I have italicized, is Joseph did not begat Jesus. Everybody else begat everybody else. And so since Joseph didn't begat Jesus, Jesus is not under the curse of the throne of the sons of David, and Jesus can rule and reign as king. That's the main point. Then we get to verse number 17. 14, 14, 14. Now, in the worlds of the Bible, as you probably know, there were no numbers. The letters were numbers. So if you said, I want to meet you at 3 o'clock, you would say, I want to meet you at C. Or I'll see you at 1. You'd say, I'll see you at A, Aleph, Okay. So the names of people in the pages of the Bible all have a weight to them. That's why John says in Revelation chapter 13, 
Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. That's the number of the beast. David's name, Dalit Vav Dalit, is 14. Four plus six plus four. So when you add up the meaning of history, the bottom line is Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the son of David. And that's why Matthew deliberately crafts this chapter 14, 14, 14. It makes it easier to memorize. When I was in school in Jerusalem, I needed an energy drink. Am I low energy or high? God bless my wife. So I went to get an energy drink, okay? And then I'm walking by, and there's like 50 teenage Jewish students sitting there right outside the old city. Okay, God, if they're still there when I come back, I'll share the gospel with them. You know how it is. Oh, they're still there when I came back. Now what am I going to do? So I told them this chapter. Oh, and they were with me the whole while. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Feta, Zeta, Tamar, Esaron, Aram, Aminadab. I knew it better than they did. And then you get to, oh, Jesus. So it made, I had their attention. And it brought it home. And then I explained this part to them quickly because it was about 50 verse 1. Verse 18 to the end of the chapter, the narrative section. Verse number 18. So these are the circumstances which precede the nativity. Okay, we all know about the nativity, don't we? These events precede the nativity. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found the child of the Holy Ghost. Now, as you know, biblical history records some amazing births. Do we have? And are you brave enough to stand up? Who is a woman that's in their 90s? Anyone here in their 90s? Anyone in their 80s? Can you stand up, dear, please? There you go. Okay, thank you. Sarah was 90 when she gave birth to Isaac. The Bible records some amazing births. Okay? Wow! A year from now, she's going to have a baby like up here? I mean, Manoah, the, wife, the husband of Samson, his wife, a miraculous birth. But nothing, nothing tops this right here. Now, it says, this all happened before they came together. This rules out the fatherhood of Joseph. That's the main point, is he who was without sin. That's how he is without sin, because he's not linked to that line. Now, a little bit here. This passage is going to tell us about the virgin birth. Okay? This is like a big deal here, what we're going to go over. Verse number 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Pause. In the world of the Bible, there's two stages to this very day, two stages to the Jewish wedding. The first stage is called the betrothal period or the espousal period. Okay? That's the first stage. And then you have the second stage, which is the chuppah. So in the first stage, this can last up to a year or more. This is when negotiations take place. Like, oh, you want to marry one of my three daughters? Okay. Oh, you don't have any money? Well, you have to work for me for seven years. Jacob Laban, remember that story? Okay. This kind of stuff takes place. During that time, the son, guys, they don't move out as soon as they're 18 and go to college of the Siskiyous. Okay. 
They stay home, and they put a room addition onto their father's house. The boys do. There's no Medicare. There's no Medicaid in the world of the Bible. No Social Security checks. The boys are the protection, the insurance, the defense, and the providers. The boys are. So the girls, you marry off right away. And the boys stay at home, and they build onto the father's house. So during this first stage, even though they're just engaged, they're still considered married, as we saw from the previous verse, because he is called her husband. Okay? So, keep going. So Joseph, her husband, even though they haven't done the second stage of the Jewish wedding, the chupa, the I do, and got on an airplane and went to Hawaii. That's the second stage. They're not there yet. They're still in the first stage. Okay, so he's called a just man, a righteous man. It's the same word used for Zacharias and Elizabeth, right? He fears God, he loves God, and he keeps the Torah, the law of Moses the best as he possibly can. His heart, his conduct, his words, and his works, he's the right man for the job. God chose the right man for the job to raise up Jesus. And he decides, in verse number 19, he decides to divorce Mary secretly when he wakes up in the morning. In verse number 19, he put her away privately. He's made the decision. I can't handle this. You're pregnant. We're in the first stage of the wedding. It's going to be a nightmare the rest of our lives. As soon as I wake up, I'm going to take you to the court, and we're getting a divorce. Now, according to the letter of the law, Mary was supposed to be executed on the doorstep of her father's house. A letter of the law. What does this show us, among other things? Just because something is written in the Bible, shocker, doesn't mean people who fear God do it. <laughs> the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. So at the time of Jesus, it's probable that if you were in this situation, they wouldn't execute you. Okay? But nevertheless, this is what the Bible says should happen to her. Okay? Verse 20. While he thought on these things, what does that mean? While he thought on these things. That means he turned them over in his mind and he's reached his decision. We've done this, right? You're, you're waking, you're going down to bed or you're waking up in the morning. We'll say at nighttime. You're going to bed. You're thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow. You've reached a decision and that's what you're going to do. As soon as you wake up, you with me? This is what Joseph has done. He's going to divorce her. It's all finished. It's all finished when I wake up tomorrow on Monday morning. But when he reached that point, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So Joseph, just like Abraham, is stopped, is hindered by an angel from protecting the life of that precious child. In that case, Isaac, right? In this case, Jesus, both Joseph and Abraham were obeying the word of God, their conscience, you know, but God supernaturally intervened and stopped and hit the brakes on what they were going to do. Verse number 21, he goes on to explain what the name of the boy will be, the name of Jesus. Now, in the world of the Bible, as we'll see in this verse and the next verse, we, names have weight. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua, Yeshua, and it means salvation, salvation. So verse number 22, now, all this was done, what was done? That Throughout this long history, from 2165 BC, 2,200 years later, all this was done to bring about this event that we're celebrating on December 25th. It's a big deal. All it was done that was spoken by the prophet. 
Now it says that it might be fulfilled. It says that a lot of times in Matthew. Matthew's saying, look, this birth was explained. It was prophesied in the pages of the Old Testament. Verse number 23. Here he goes to quote the Old Testament then. Behold, here it is. A virgin shall be with a child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. So the reason he has to say which being interpreted is is because the Jews at this time don't read or understand Hebrew. It's Aramaic or Greek or something else. But besides the point, names. His name is not only salvation, but according to the fulfillment of prophecy, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being God with us. He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. And he's still with us, lo, always, even to the end of the age, and the other 364 days a year, right? This is why we rejoice. This is why we give thanks. Because as we go through our daily routines and habits and customs and all these kind of things, he is with us us. And that makes all the difference, as you know, in the world. Verse 24, so Joseph rose from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, took on him his wife. In other words, he got up in the morning, he didn't do what he planned on doing, right? He's keeping with his righteous character. He fears God, and he keeps God's commandments. So he wakes up, goes against all odds, and went and took unto him his wife. That is to say, he went from his father's house in Nazareth. You with me? The room addition was finished. He went to Mary's house, took Mary, brought Mary back to his father's house. It's all like John chapter 14. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you to myself, that where I am there you may be also in my father's house. That's what Jesus is doing now. He's in heaven, a tecton, a carpenter, a master builder, building room additions onto his father's house. And then when he's done with that, because we're the bride of Christ, our husband will come to the clouds, shout with a voice, the bride will be caught up, and he brings the bride back home to his Abba's house. Same thing. That's exactly what Joseph did. And then 25, our last verse. And he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name. Jesus. Now, by naming the child, by naming the child, Joseph publicly acknowledges Jesus as a lawful born member of his family. He clinches Jesus's place by naming the child, by, we would say, adopting the child, by placing Jesus now in the Davidic line. And now we can avoid the curse. So the name Jesus, like the name Emmanuel, Jesus is the same name as Joshua. It's the same name. It's the Greek version. So like, it's a beautiful name, like Joshua, the high priest, after they came back from Babylon. He's going to deliver his captives. He's going to mediate as the guy between man and God for his people. Like Joshua, the ruler, he's going to lead them into the salvation that's promised by God. Jesus, looking at his genealogy like we just did, overcame a lot, just like we overcome a lot. He was tempted in every way like we were. And even though he had all this baggage and all this history of these people related to him, he did not come to call righteous people but sinners, the sinners who are in his genealogy. People just like us. Now, the whole conclusion of the matter is it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who's related. I'm a direct descendant of the founder of the Hatfields. You know, Hatfield and McCoys? 
The de- his name, they called him the de- his name was ants. They called him the devils. He was so nasty. The devil's ants. Direct link to me. My brother, my poor brother, grew up in uh, he grew up going to church, great churches like this. Just went south, died of a drug overdose five months ago. Just just OD'd on opioids and other nasty things. So it doesn't matter all these things that are stuck on us and all the sin from all these people from generations and in our family tree, it doesn't mean a hill of beans. You are you. God loves you. And it doesn't matter, like Jesus, who you're linked to or who you're related to. He, he has called us to salvation, to be with us. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's the reason for the season. Thank you so much for having us here today, guys. Real fast, and I'm done right on time. Look at that, Brandon. Right on time. I teach at Shasta Bible College in Reading. Great school, accredited, and it's super cheap. Okay? I teach night classes if you want to drive down once a week on Monday nights. We'll do this through whole books of the Bible. It's great. But if you can't do that, this is just as good. This is a com- that, that was 45 minutes of teaching through Matthew chapter 1. This is talking much slower. But teaching verse by verse through the entire book of Revelation. It's 14 hours long. I'm the only person you know that has Revelation memorized. And you combine that with two master's degrees from Jerusalem. And you put this on when you're going up and down five or cleaning the house. And this really helps understand this great, great book. Also, like Brandon said, there's a basket in the back. We're 100% full-time missionaries. Our family runs on all our programs and our widows and orphans overseas runs on the kindness of strangers. So if you are blessed by our presentation and our family today, we pray you bless us with a gift on the way out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are with us and you're going to be with us always, even to the end of the age. And thank you for that confidence and that assurance that that gives us. Lord God, please use us powerfully for your glory. We love you so much, Lord. Show us what you want us to do with our lives. Help us, like Joseph, to believe you, to have faith in your word, and to see what great things you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, would you stand together? Let's, uh, we're going to close the service as we always do in a song. And as always, an opportunity to respond. Uh, anytime the word is spoken, anytime the word is presented, we know that God is working on our hearts. 